The nurse licensure compact operates very similarly. So as long as you, you don't change your primary state of residency, you can practice in any other jurisdiction uh, for any amount of time. Then if, you, if your primary state of residency changes, that's when you would need to update your, your license with your new home state with that board of nursing. What is the nurse licensure compact? And why should we nurses, the public at large, and our multidisciplinary colleagues care about it? Let's talk all about it with Jim Cleghorn of the National Council of State Boards of Nursing, right here on episode 399 of The Nurse Keith Show. Hey there, this is Nurse Keith. This podcast is all about you. It's also about your personal and professional development, your nursing and healthcare career, and the healthcare system in the bigger picture. And I'm here to share education, ideas, frequent diatribes, and informative interviews with some of the most inspiring people out there in the worlds of healthcare and nursing, entrepreneurship, medicine, etc. I love having you along for the ride, and I thank you from the bottom of my nurse podcaster's heart for being part of the growing Nurse Keith Nation. And as always, if you'd like to help other people find the show, if you would please consider doing me a solid and leaving a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon, or Spotify, and consider becoming a patron at patreon.com, even $2 a month helps me out a great deal keeping the show going. And that's over at patreon.com forward slash Nurse Keith. I appreciate my patrons, my reviewers, and my listeners oh so very much. Please head over to nursekeith.com to the podcast drop down menu where you can learn all about this episode, my guest, the Nurse Licensure Compact, and everything else we're going to be talking about in this hour. And Jim Cleghorn, I am so appreciative of you being here. And in a nutshell, could you tell us what the Nurse Licensure Compact is all about? So Keith, thank you so much for the opportunity to be on your, your show today. I, I appreciate the, the chance to tell others about the compact and how they can become involved in, in getting it passed in their state. So the, the Nurse Licensure Compact is a multi-state license that nurses uh, can obtain uh, if they live, if their home state is a member of the compact, gives them the opportunity to practice in their home state and in any of the other 38 uh, compact jurisdictions without having to obtain a second license or a third license, without having to meet the continuing competency requirements in those states, without having to pay the additional fees. It just really simplifies the process and makes the, the licensure portability much easier for the, the nurses. Awesome. I have a compact license myself here in New Mexico, and I used to have a Texas license, which was a compact license. And it's an amazing thing to have, just the knowledge that you know, I could cross state lines and work in Oklahoma or Texas or Colorado or Kansas or Arizona or Utah anytime I want. And do you hear from nurses over at the National Council for State Boards of Nurses who are happy about being able to have this this privilege? Absolutely. The the compact has been a a huge benefit for for many of the nurses that that utilize that multi-state privilege. Nursing practice is it's not just at the bedside in in one specific facility in one specific town. So many of our nurses are mobile. 
They're, they're practicing across state lines, whether driving back and forth or practicing telephonically. You may have educators that are teaching uh, through telephonic methods. Uh, and so the, the nursing population really needed uh, a licensure model that, that would be able to, to handle the needs of, of this century. You know, the, the single state licensure model really hasn't changed much since the early 1900s. And so the, having a, a compact, uh, a mutual recognition model is, is really the, the way to meet the licensure needs of the future. Right. And when was the NLC first floated? Like, when did this idea of like actually happen for the very first time, the first iteration? You know, it, it really dates back to the early 1990s. At, at NCSBN, some of the, the member board attorneys got around, some of the executive directors, and started talking about the, the legal questions related to telehealth, interstate licensure, and, and how all that was going to work if you were practice occurs where the patient is. So if, if you're located in one place and your patient's located somewhere else, then, then you needed to have a license where the patient was. So NCSBN put together a, a task force to, to examine different regulatory models and, and how they might work, what the feasibility uh, of each of those models would be, and, and what some of the, the future models could, could look like. That, that work went on for a couple of years, and uh, they, they came out with the, the mutual recognition model after, I don't know, probably two or three years, maybe the, the mid-1990s. That information was, was approved by the, the delegates. Uh, the, the first uh, compact language was actually released, I believe, in 1998, uh, and then then we were on the way to to getting the the members involved. Mm -hmm. And I became a nurse in '96, and I lived in Massachusetts until 2009. So I didn't have the privilege or pleasure of having a compact license till I left Massachusetts and got a Texas and then New Mexico license back in 2009, 2010. So, you know, it was something I'd heard about, but it didn't really affect me because I lived in Massachusetts and there was no compact affecting us in New England. So, you know, I was excited when I first got it. And one confusion that comes up for people around it, and maybe you could clarify, is let's say, let's say I live in New Mexico and I live near the border of Texas. These are two compact states. Now, if my domicile, my legal domicile was in New Mexico, however, I cross state lines to work in Texas, you know, let's say four days a week. Is there any problem with really working pretty much all of my work happens in Texas, but I actually am domiciled. I reside and sleep in New Mexico. Is that a problem? No, it's not. So the, the compact, the nurse licensure compact really operates very much like the driver's license compact. So you, you have a driver's license in your primary state of residency, your, the, the state where you're domiciled, as, as you referenced, but, but you can drive in any of the states as much as you want. There's, there's no requirement for you to change that unless you change your primary state of residency. The nurse licensure compact operates very similarly. So as long as you, you don't change your primary state of residency, you can practice in any other jurisdiction uh, for any amount of time. Then if, you, if your primary state of residency changes, that's when you would need to update your, your license with your new home state with that board of nursing. I see. And what if, let's say I live in New Mexico now, what if I moved to 
Hawaii, which is not a compact state at this time, do I, if I keep my New Mexico license, which is a compact license, and then get a license in Hawaii, can I then still work in any of the compact states? So if you move to Hawaii and Hawaii becomes your primary state of residency, so the the state where you're registered to vote, where you pay uh, income taxes, then then you would lose the privilege to have the multi-state license because you would no longer be living, you would no longer have a primary state of residence in a compact jurisdiction. So then you would have to apply for licensure in Hawaii, should you choose to practice there, and then apply for single state licensure in any of the other jurisdictions where you would need to practice. I see, but I'd first give up my New Mexico license. Right. uh, New Mexico would probably allow you to keep that license, but it would be converted to a single state license. You would not be able to have a a compact license. Yeah, it it really is a, a huge benefit for for the, the boards of nursing to be member for the individual states to be members of the compact to provide these benefits to the nurses and, and to the healthcare community. Yeah. And then this makes me think about um, travel nurses because that's been a huge thing during the pandemic and still is, right? And do what happens when you have a travel nurse who lives in California and gets sent to you know, an assignment in another state. What happens with that? And they don't have a compact license. So how do they legally practice in Pennsylvania or North Carolina or Washington, D.C.? Yeah, for those nurses that are they're seeking to, to practice in other jurisdictions, if, if their primary state of residency is not in a compact jurisdiction, then they have to seek single state licensure from every jurisdiction where they need to practice. That can be pretty costly. It can be time consuming. Uh, it, it can present a number of barriers for the, the nurses. They're applying for licensure and going through that process, gathering the documents, getting the criminal background checks, whatever other uh documentation is needed, it, it can be very timely and costly for those individuals, which potentially delays the the access to care for the the patients and the facilities waiting on that nurse to get there. Right, exactly. And this leads me to something I mentioned at the top of the show, which was, it's obvious to me why nurses should care about this, because hey, we can go practice in any state we want within the compact. There's you know, quite a few states where we can practice 39 jurisdictions, basically, because there's other non-state entities like Washington, D.C., Guam. Um, the There's one island chain that's part of it too, right? Right. So, so to be clear, Washington, D.C. is not part of the compact at this point. Oh, that's but- right. There, there are 37 states and then Guam and the U.S. Virgin Islands. So that makes That's up the 39 right. jurisdictions. That's right. That's right. Yeah, D.C. hasn't come on board. But anyway, back to my original question, which was, you know, so there's a reason. Well, there's multiple reasons for nurses to care about this because it makes it easier for all of us to do the work we need to do to serve patients where they need to be served. My assumption would be that there is something in this for consumers, you know, patients, healthcare consumers, and there's something in this for our multidisciplinary colleagues. So first, let's start with consumers. Why should a citizen care that there's a nurse licensure compact? Well, I, th- I think some of the, the 
most obvious benefits to the consumer would be if I travel to a hospital, maybe outside of the, the state where I live for care, uh, and then I'm having follow-up, the, the nurse from that clinic is, is calling to follow up with me. They have to be licensed in my jurisdiction. Uh, they have to be because practice occurs where the, the patient is. So uh, if the if I'm living in a state that's part of the compact, it makes it very easy. Uh, the I'm able to access care. Uh, they're able to follow up with me without having to take additional steps. The you, you may run into to individuals that would to providers that would say, well, I, I don't want to treat you because that would require me to take additional um, licensure action to be able to to provide care to you. So it, it makes it very easy. Uh, for me to, to access care across state borders. Uh, additionally, during times of disaster, as, well, as we've just seen over the past two years, mm-hmm. the, the compact really enables nurses to be very portable and to go where they're needed at a moment's notice without having to wait for the, the licensure process to, to go through in a new jurisdiction. So uh, as a consumer, when, you know, during the height of the pandemic, when when people were, were waiting for hospital spaces to open up, one of the key reasons was because they needed people to provide care to those patients. So that, that's, that's a huge reason for individuals, for, for citizens to be involved and to be interested in how quickly they can access healthcare. Right. And I recently learned that this notion of internal travel nurse agencies is now becoming more of a thing because companies and institutions have spent so much on travel nurses through third party ent- uh, entities that healthcare systems themselves that have a footprint in more than one state are now having internal travel agencies where nurses and other professionals can be uh, take uh, assignments in other facilities within that system in other states and if all of those, states where that healthcare system has a footprint are part of the NLC, then it's no problem to send your nurses from this state to that state, right? Absolutely. It makes it very easy for them. You know, just like the the rest of us that are over the last couple of years have gotten much more interested in our work-life balance and how we can can make things uh, easier for our families and, and the remote work possibilities, the new scheduling opportunities. Nurses are in the same boat. They're interested in opportunities that that will best conform to their scheduling desires and and how they can make it work for for them. So if that means working at multiple facilities uh, on different days to to best accommodate their schedule, that's what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. And this benefits our multidisciplinary colleagues as well, because if there's a nursing shortage, the surgeon, the doctor, the um, clinical nurse specialist in one facility wants to make sure there's enough nurses to care for the patients that are under their care. Absolutely. You know, I, I've heard from a, a number of healthcare systems that were, were shutting down uh, units in their, their facilities because they didn't have the nurses to staff those units. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it wasn't because they weren't needed. It was just because they didn't have access to those nurses. So being able to, to get the nurses across the, the state lines to, to where they're needed most is certainly an important issue. Yeah. Now let's talk about the states and other entities that are members. And we'll also, I, is it okay? Is it politic of us to mention the ones who are not? Because it's actually easier to list the ones who aren't part of it. <laughs> is that okay? I think that would be fine. I mean, it's on your website. So Absolutely. rather than list the 39 
that are covered. And you already called out the U.S. Virgin Islands and um, Guam. Guam has partial implementation and the Virgin Islands has is that's enacted there. Right. Right. So I, Guam, uh, it, they both passed the legislation. Uh, they're 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 still working on on getting the the details worked out. There's some software, some technological issues that have to be resolved in both jurisdictions. Uh, but hopefully we will have that that taken care of very soon. Yeah. So let's move on then to the states that do not have it enacted and have no pending legislation because, you know, it's public knowledge. So we might as well talk about it. So over on the East Coast, the only state that has nothing going on whatsoever in terms of the compact is Connecticut. It has no pending legislation, right? That's correct. Uh, And, you know, I I don't know what what the the outlook for 2023 will be. There's certainly conversations with all of the jurisdictions, uh, but Connecticut is one of those states that that has not historically participated in many compacts in general. Uh, I believe they've recently just enacted uh, one or two. Uh, and so, you know, we, we continue to, to work with the state leaders and the, the stakeholders in that jurisdiction to see how we can um, provide education and information about the benefits of the compact. Mm-hmm. And then on the East Coast, the only other one that has nothing going on, we already mentioned, which is Washington, D.C., which is, you know, it's not it doesn't have state privileges, but people have to be licensed there in D.C. Now, if we head over towards the middle of the country. The only state I see grayed out in that whole central swath of the United States is Minnesota. No pending NLC legislation there either. That's correct. Uh, you know, there was a bill during the 2022 session uh, that that made it pretty far, advanced through one chamber, uh, and then met some some headway. Uh, we, we continue to work with the the stakeholders there. There's a, a very robust coalition in, in Minnesota uh, and, and work with them to, to get a, a better understanding of some of the, the challenges that, that um, we need to address in that jurisdiction. But at this point, there, there is no bill, and, and uh, I'm unaware of any information for 2023 that would indicate a bill would be introduced during that session. Yeah, bummer. Okay, Minnesota, you got some work to do. And then as we head west on the map, it's blue, 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 blue all the way over, which means these are all NLC members until we make it to Washington State, Oregon, Nevada, California, Alaska, and Hawaii. So that entire West Coast and then Alaska being not part of the, you know, um, contiguous United States and Hawaii, though Alaska appears to have some pending legislation so it's sort of on the fence now right yes so there 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 has been legislation introduced previously and and we are working with partners for the 2023 session anticipating that a bill will be introduced i certainly i i don't have a crystal ball to to be able to predict the outcome but but we are certainly engaged with the stakeholders and and ready to provide support uh, education information whatever we can do to help them achieve their goal mm-hmm. yeah and there's lots and lots of nurses in california so it would be awesome to be able to bring california into the fold and i'm sure you know there's 
lots of people there who would like that to happen. And in terms of other states where we have pending legislation, we've got good old Massachusetts, where I lived for many, many years. We have New York State, Michigan, and Illinois. So we have some states where there's some momentum. And Jim, when we come back from the break, I'd like to talk about how nurses can get involved when they're in a state where there's pending legislation that needs to be advocated for, or there's no legislation of any kind on the books, and we need to agitate and advocate for that. So those are two of the important things I'd like to address in the second half of the show. Does that sound okay? That sounds great. I look forward to it. Awesome. So hang in there with us. We are going to be right back with episode 399 of the Nurse Keith Show with Jim Cleghorn of the National Council of State Boards of Nursing. And welcome back to the second half of the episode. We're here again on episode 399. Can you believe it? 399 with friend of the pod and my new friend and colleague, Jim Cleghorn. And Jim is the director of member engagement and government affairs at the National Council of State Boards of Nursing based in Chicago. And he oversees activities related to state and federal policy and government affairs. And this is where Jim comes in with the nurse licensure compact that we talked about in the first half, and we're going to continue here. So Jim, right before the break, we were talking about the states where, sadly enough, nothing's going on. California, I'm talking to you. And then we have the ones that are pending, which we really want to push for, Massachusetts, New York, Illinois, Michigan, Alaska. And then we have some where it's been enacted, but implementation is waiting, and that includes the Virgin Islands, Guam. So if you all want to move there or work there, this really needs to be pushed forward. And Pennsylvania and Ohio too. So there's been a lot of movement, Jim, and there's been a lot of advocacy and agitation for this to be enacted. And I remember a couple of years ago here in New Mexico, there was a deadline for enacting the enhanced nurse licensure compact, the ENLC. What was that all about? Because I was actually, I remember being in the gallery at the state Senate when that was being debated. So what's the ENLC? So the ENLC was what we called the enhanced nurse licensure compact. So during the first half of the podcast, we, we talked about the original uh, compact after a number of years, we had 24 states that had enacted the compact. The last state that had joined, I believe, was Missouri, and they had, had joined in 2010. But the needle hadn't really moved since that time. So we, we get to 2012, 2013, and NCSBN convened a group of, of the executive officers from the uh, jurisdictions to, to start talking about you know, what were the barriers to getting uh, more states into the compact? Uh, I, I was the executive director of the Georgia Board of Nursing at that time. And I, I can remember sitting in those rooms and, and, and discussing, you know, why this jurisdiction wasn't or why this one wasn't. And, and each of us had different reasons for why our state could not participate. So out of that conversation and, and the, the discussion that was had, the, the compromises that were made, 
it was determined that, that we really needed to adopt a set of uniform licensure requirements or ULRs. And uh, through that process, we, we revised the nurse licensure compact, incorporated those uniform licensure requirements into the language, uh, addressed other issues that that needed some tweaking or updates that that had been realized over the the 12 13 years that the compact had been operationalized were able to um, bring that information to a special delegate assembly with ncsbn in may of 2015 that was overwhelmingly approved and state legislatures began to to consider the uh, updated language and adopt the enhanced nlc uh, in 2016. Yeah, and I remember being at, in New Mexico here, watching these conversations take place, and we were advocating for this ELNOC to be passed forthwith, which it was, but it really came down to the wire because there were some senators here in New Mexico who were real sticklers and obviously didn't understand what was going on and what this was truly about. And that's where advocacy comes in because... You know, legislators at the state level, some could be doctors, for instance, or here in New Mexico, some might be ranchers or business people. And here in New Mexico, we have one of the few or maybe the only state legislatures where our legislators are not paid, actually. Oh, wow. Yeah. So these people have businesses. They need to, you know, earn a living and then they volunteer their time to come during legislative session and in between sessions to passed laws and govern along with the governor. So legislators need to be educated. You know, why is this important? Why are nurses important? What is, what is the, um, you know, the, the nurse practice act and why is it important for us to understand it? So if I'm a nurse and I'm in, I don't know, California, and I want to advocate for California to enact some legislation and get into the compact. What do I do? How do I get involved? I think there's a variety of ways that that nurses can be involved. Of course, joining organizations that represent nursing at the state capitol. Depending on the jurisdiction in which you reside, your state nursing association may not necessarily be supportive of the compact, but mm-hmm. there, it presents an opportunity for you to help educate them, influence their, their thinking, maybe bring a, a fresh perspective. Uh, if that's not an option, you know, their, their government relations committees uh, with, within the healthcare facilities, with, within nursing organizations, where you can can get involved and, and directly influence the legislative agenda. You know, if you, if you join a group that's supportive of the compact, utilize whatever resources that group has to influence the lawmakers, uh, to educate other nurses and, and to get them on board to be able to reach out to the, to the individual legislators about the NLC. There, there are often a lot of opportunities to get involved through your employer. Uh, if the employer is going to benefit from the NLC, perhaps they're part of a coalition or a group that, that they can provide a, a nursing perspective as to how the NLC would, would benefit them. Uh, you know, the people will say, well, I don't really have time to, to join a group or I, I'm not really a political kind of person, not, not somebody that wants to go to the Capitol and, and make my presence known. But, but you can also uh, work at, at the district level, you know, meet with your state senator, reach out to them, use voter voice uh, to, to communicate, send information, just just letting them know, hey, I, I'm voting for you. 
here's an issue that, that's of, of interest to me, and here's how it impacts the people of your of your district. Uh, you know, once a bill is introduced, if, if, if a bill is introduced in one of those states, then you have the opportunity to, to speak in favor of it at a committee hearing to talk about how the NLC would benefit nursing and, and how it would benefit the patients in that state. You know, at the at the very least, you, you can reach out to, to nursecompact.com. We've got information that would enable you to send a customizable letter to your lawmaker where you can advocate for passage of the NLC in your jurisdiction. And, and in, you can encourage your friends and colleagues, family members to do the same. Nursecompact.com. Right. And you don't have to be a nurse or a healthcare professional to call or write your legislature legislator and say, hey, I really want you to look at this piece of legislation. So I'm glad you mentioned, you know, your friends, your family, your neighbors, et cetera, you know, whoever it happens to be, whatever advocacy groups are, you know, have a stake in this, maybe retired people or elderly people or folks who are disabled or anything like that, who people who feel they would benefit from this being enacted. So I'm curious in terms of the future, we know that we have 37 states and two other jurisdictions, and we have some more states that hopefully are going to come on board sooner than later. And do you feel that as we hit this critical mass, do you feel that the pressure on the states that haven't done anything grows? Is there like a groundswell that makes them think, oh my gosh, we need to really you know, get on this bandwagon? I certainly hope so. You know, I, I, I believe the as the number of states grows, the number of jurisdiction grows and, and the number of states that are that are kind of holding out uh, diminishes that 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 pressure will increase. If something good did come from the pandemic, it was the evidence that, that we need nurse portability and how important that is. You know, a, a number of the states enacted executive orders to be able to get nurses into their jurisdiction. As long as they were licensed somewhere else, uh, they could come and practice in, in that state. And while that was great for getting someone in there, it didn't provide the protections that the Nurse Licensure Compact does. So there was no way to, to monitor their, their license information. There was no way to ensure that there was jurisdiction for disciplinary actions. The compact codifies a number of key issues that offer protections to the public when you've got a nurse crossing across state lines mm -hmm. that the executive orders don't have the ability to do. Exactly, right. So it's protection for the public. It's protection for a nurse's license, et cetera, right? There's so many different pieces here. And I have a question for you. We talked about travel nursing, right? And we talked about internal nurse travel agencies within healthcare systems where there's a footprint across multiple states. So we talked about that. One thing we haven't touched on that I just want to mention here is telehealth and remote nursing. That has become a huge booming aspect of healthcare delivery for good reason. And there are lots of nurses who do case management and care management and insurance nursing and all that kind of stuff. And there's also nurse health coaches who have their own businesses, like I'm a coach, but I don't do health coaching, who are actually working within their scope of practice, coaching consumers who pay them for advice and you know support around their health issues. If I'm a nurse in a compact state, 
can I only do telehealth, remote nursing, or even nurse health coaching with patients who live in other compact states? Yeah. So you, you have to remember that practice occurs where the patient is located. Yes. So if the patient is located in a state that is a member of the nurse licensure compact and you are a nurse with a multi-state license, then you, you would certainly be able to interact with that state in accordance with whatever rules and regulations that state has in place for, for telehealth. Right. If you were interacting with a, a patient that was residing in a state that was not a member of the nurse licensure compact, then you would need to seek a single state license in that jurisdiction and then comply with any rules and regulations that they may also have. Right. So if I'm a nurse health coach and I have a private practice and I'm working within my scope of practice in a state where I live and work, but say I want to work with a patient in another state, I really should do my due diligence and look at the the Nurse Practice Act in that state and make sure that I'm not running afoul of any rules around telenursing and health coaching, right? Keith, that's a, a great point. It's not just a a should, that's a must. Mm-hmm. You, you, you must abide by the scope of practice in the jurisdiction where you're practicing. Mm-hmm. So again, re- remember that practice is where the patient is. So you may live in one state, but, it, but if you're working with a patient in another jurisdiction, you are responsible for abiding by the Nurse Practice Act laws, r- rules, regulations in that jurisdiction. Right. And if you live in a compact state like New Mexico and you want to work as a health coach with clients, private clients in California, you sort of need to have a California license and understand the scope of practice there. So this is a sticky thing with all this remote nursing and nurses launching their own health coach practices. So I would just say, nurse beware, you need to do your due diligence and make sure what you're doing is legal and take Jim's advice here. Now, Jim, before we go, I have one more question for you and then a few additional last minute questions, but around the NLC and the National Council of State Boards of Nursing, other than administering and supporting, et cetera, the nurse licensure compact, which is a really important part of what the NCSBN does, what else does the National Council and State Boards of Nursing do? Because I know they do a lot of things. Absolutely. NCSBN was founded in 1978. We're getting ready to celebrate our 45th anniversary. And it was founded with the sole mission of public protection and patient safety. So our members are the boards of nursing uh, in the the various states and jurisdictions. Uh, We have associate members, exam user members across the Canadian provinces, and even around the world, uh, associate members in Bermuda, Ireland, the UK, uh, Australia, New Zealand. So it, it, NCSBN has really transformed and, and grown from an organization where boards of nursing in the U.S. could act and counsel together on matters of common interest. It, it's really morphed into an international leader for regulatory excellence. So over the last 45 years, NCSBN is, has been known for its, its history of, of research and innovation. In 1994, uh, we became the first healthcare organization to utilize a computerized adaptive test for the purpose of licensure, so the NCLEX. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 2023, we're preparing to launch the next generation NCLEX. Uh, you know, that exam will, will ask better questions to help nurses think critically 
when providing care and, and making the right decisions for our, our patients. You know, NTSBN's mission uh, is to provide education, service, and research through collaborative leadership and to promote evidence-based regulatory excellence for patient safety and public protection. Well said. And that involves policy and government-related issues, research, like you said, the NCLEX, nursing regulation, and administering these licensure compacts that are so important to our, you know, to our practice and what nurses can and can't do. So the NCSBN does a lot of different things within the realm of nursing. And like you said, it's become more of an international leader. It's not just in the United States. So this is It's a really important organization for us to recognize and to realize that it it has a really important function that directly impacts our practice. So, Jim, I really appreciate you, you know, elucidating more about the compact. And if people have questions about the compact, I know they can go to ncsbn.org and NCSBN is also on Twitter, but is there a specific place to go if they have compact related questions specifically? Sure. They can go to nursecompact.com. There's information specifically about the nurse licensure compact and also how to submit questions or inquiries back to our staff. Great. And that will all be in the show notes. And Jim, before we say goodbye, and this has really been fascinating, I'm so happy to have talked about the compact more explicitly on the show with someone who knows what they're talking about. Um, I have four quick questions for you, and these are not related to the NCSBN or anything like that. This is just four questions I ask all my guests. Are you game? I think so. (laughs) Okay. All right. Putting you on the spot a little bit, but these are, they're easy. And, um, No multiple choice. It's not like the NCLEX. So the first question is, how do you define success personally or professionally? I think success for me is identifying the the objectives and the goals that that my organization or, or me personally or my family needs for tomorrow or the next week or the next year for the for the future and then working as hard as i can to accomplish those goals or make headway towards those goals you know some of them are are accomplished on a, a daily basis some of them it's, it's going to take months or, or even years to to complete but but making that that slow and deliberative progress and and keeping my eyes on on that prize uh and and continuing to work um, for the the ultimate achievement of that goal. I love that. That's great. And as a coach, I love goal-oriented stuff. So you're speaking my language. Okay, so second question. Could you name, or if you don't want to name them, just describe somebody who's inspired you in the course of your life. It could be a famous person. It could be someone just in your family, or they could be living, they could be dead. Just a person who's really touched you and made you partially who you are. You know, I, I don't know if I could really narrow that down to one individual. I, I, I can tell you I've had people that have influenced me at a professional level, at a personal level, uh, have been examples for me, both professionally as a, as a husband, as a father. And I appreciate every ounce of energy that they've been willing to invest in me and the, the, tidbits and and tips that they've given me to hopefully help me avoid some of the pitfalls that that they might have encountered and and help me be more successful as a um 
as a businessman, as a dad, and as a father. That's beautiful. I love that. Yeah. And on one level, you could say some of those people might, you could characterize them as mentors. Absolutely. You know, some of them, it may have been a more formal uh, mentor relationship and other ones, they may not have even realized the impact that they have had on me, but, but nevertheless, they, they still stand out in my mind. And I can remember some of the lessons that they taught me, whether directly or indirectly from, from observing their behavior. Exactly. I often talk about official mentors, like you say to someone, would you be my mentor and help me with this thing in my life? Or someone who you just have emulated. And it's like this person who just like inspires you to no end and you just watch how they move in the world. And I think that's, that's a wonderful thing about other people in our lives. So third penultimate question and this is also another personal question. Is there a book or a movie? And it doesn't have to be an absolute favorite, just something that pops into your mind that's had an influence on how you think or maybe how you live your life. Not much of a movie goer. I've got, I've got an eight-year-old and a 12-year-old. And so I, I feel like most of my time is spent trying to keep up with them and, and shuttling from uh, from soccer game to to softball to golf and whatever other activities they've got going on, right. you know, if I had to to name one book, I, I would probably have to say the Bible. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I can 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 show you how it's impacted me personally. Again, as a husband and a father, and also as a as a professional, uh, and and really has had an impact in everything that I do and how I live. Hmm. You're not the first person to say that on this show. So I really appreciate that. I mean, the Bible is an important piece of religious and spiritual literature, and it informs the moral fiber of life for a lot of people, yourself included. So I think that's that's a great one to name because it's important to so many millions and millions of people. So I really appreciate that. Now, last question, and you're a father, so this would actually speak to you in a certain sense. And you'll get what I mean in a second. What's a piece of advice you would give 18-year-old Jim right now, whether you think he would listen or not? Well, you really put me on the, the spot with that one. <laughs> you know, I think it would probably be to, to keep your eyes up. You know, at 18, I thought I knew what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And it had absolutely nothing to do with nursing regulation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I pursued that path and and enjoyed it. And then when when I was introduced to the opportunities with nursing regulation through the Georgia Board of Nursing and then uh, at CGFNS and and ultimately with NCSBN, I, I really felt like I had been handed a gift, just mm. a dream opportunity. And so you know to to not try to to limit yourself and and be open to those new opportunities to be willing to listen and and take advantage of of the paths that are that are laid in, in front of you uh, I, I think that's probably the the best thing that I would have to offer at this point well Jim you did so well in this lightning round thank you so much for indulging me this was this was great and super inspiring answers actually well, I appreciate the time and and thank you again for having me on the show today Yeah. Thanks for being here. Thanks for elucidating all about the 
state counts, the National Council of State Boards of Nursing, and especially the Nurse Licensure Compact. This has been wonderful. And I'm sure many, many nurses who listen to this episode are going to be greatly more informed about the compact. So thank you. Thank you again. I, I hope that the, the listeners enjoy it and that they will be willing to, to take action to advance the compact in, in their state or um, be willing to be advocates for, for nursing uh, if, if they're living in a state where the compact is already enacted. You heard it here first, folks. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nurse Keith Show. Remember to learn all about Jim and the National Council of State Boards of Nursing and the Nurse Licensure Compact. Head over to nursekeith.com or the show notes in whatever app where you happen to listen to this show. I hope you feel uplifted and empowered and will take some action just like Jim recommended just now. If you need personalized holistic career coaching to elevate your career, Head over to nursekeith.com or email me at keith at nursekeith.com. Mention the show and get 10% off your coaching package. We're a proud member of the Health Podcast Network at healthpodcastnetwork.com. We're produced by Rob Johnston of 520R Podcasting. And Mark Cappiespeason is our stalwart social media ringmaster. And I'm so grateful to Rob and Mark for keeping the wheels turning in the right direction. Before we say goodbye, I'll leave you with one of my favorite quotes. This one is from the musician Robert Fripp. May my living honor my parents. May my living repay the debt of my existence. Be well, dig deep, seek joy, keep in touch. This is Nurse Keith saying adios till next time from beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico. And my friend and friend of the pod, Jim Cleghorn, saying arrivederci from Kathleen, Georgia. Kathleen, Georgia. Thank you so much, Jim. Thanks to everyone for listening, and we will catch you on the proverbial flip side.